All right, the book of Exodus tonight, chapter number 14. Exodus chapter number 14. Trust you had a good prayer time. I know we'll take the list with us, continue to pray for one another throughout the week. And thankful for our time to come together, how important it is for us to gather together and pray for one another. Exodus chapter 14, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first three points. I mistakenly said five lessons from a simple tool. I added one and forgot to change it into PowerPoint. There are actually six lessons from this simple tool, the rod of Moses. And it is referred to in Exodus 17 and verse 9 as the rod of God. We looked at the first three of these lessons a couple weeks ago. Last week we just had a brief time after the business meeting and we're thankful for the good business meeting last week and for God's provisions and unity for our church and we thank the Lord so much for that. The first lesson we looked at a couple weeks ago from the rod of Moses is The rod was an instrument of service and a place of preparation. Moses was a shepherd. That wasn't part of his original plan. He had grown up in Pharaoh's household as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, adopted. And we know the story there. We looked at some of Moses' history when we looked at his mom and obviously the providence of God in delivering him out of the Nile River, growing up in Pharaoh's household. And we know from Hebrews 11, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And in making that choice, in doing God's will, he ran ahead of God a little bit and killed the Egyptian taskmaster. God sent him into the wilderness for 40 years. It was a time of preparation And no doubt that rod, that staff that he had in his hand was used multiple times in shepherding sheep. Eventually, then he would uh, see that rod be turned into a snake as a sign of God's calling him there at the burning bush. And it became an instrument of clarity and a place of calling. God was merciful to Moses, though he had already told him what to do. And had told him, I am hath sent you. Tell them that I am hath sent you. And yet Moses said, but I'm a man of uh, little strength. And how, how could I do this? And he began to make some excuses. And God in his mercy, similar to with Gideon, he gave Moses signs to reassure him, to boost his confidence, so to speak, in what God had given him to do, what God had called him to do, and what God calls us to do, he will give us the power, give us the strength to do it. God does not command us to do anything that he does not then also give us the strength to obey. Sometimes we think the commands and the principles and all that God gives us to do for in obedience for him, for his glory, we often think that we have to do that in our own strength. But God says, what I have commanded you to do, I also give you the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by my strength, to do what I have called you to do. Moses struggled with that. The rod was turned into a snake as a sign, as a, again, a reassurance, not that we should be seeking for a fleece or for a sign when God gives us a clear command, but in his mercy, he gave Moses an additional sign, and yet Moses would still struggle 
And he said, I can't speak. And so God allowed Aaron to come along and to help him. And he felt like Aaron, Moses did, felt like Aaron was a better speaker. And we know Aaron had his own issues, but God in his mercy uh, provided for Moses and helped him by bringing his brother Aaron along. And together they would confront um, Pharaoh. And then of course Aaron would become the high priest. But there we see in the wilderness the rod of Moses being an instrument of clarity in a place of calling. And then they confront Pharaoh in Exodus 7, and we see the rod as an instrument of significance in a place of confrontation. Earlier, Aaron's rod had been turned into a snake, and that was the original confrontation with Pharaoh. Now again, they're meeting with Pharaoh in Exodus 7, and the rod again, in this case, it's Moses' rod, miraculously transformed by God into a snake. It was a sign uh, of course, that there was judgment coming upon Pharaoh. They needed to let the people go. And Pharaoh would, of course, resist, and he would be stubborn. And he would uh, not let the people go. We know about the ten plagues. And yes, the magicians were able to do some copycat miracles up to a certain point, two or three. But they weren't able to stop the plagues the power of Satan is limited. There's a certain influence that God has allowed Satan to have as the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. But that rod was a symbol of God's power and it was turned into a snake. And it was a symbol, it was a sign. It was showing Pharaoh that if you don't let God's people go, if you don't let his people go, there will be judgment. And of course, Moses, um, excuse me, Pharaoh wouldn't listen Moses uh, told him what would happen, and we know the story of the ten plagues, including the Passover and the firstborn son being slain, unless they had the blood over the doorposts, and we won't rehearse all of that tonight. That brings us to the fourth place, or the fourth lesson, another place where we see God having Moses, specifically with the rod in his hand, uh, do an action on behalf of the Lord. And we see it in Exodus 14, the rod as an instrument of salvation in the midst of a crisis. Exodus 14, verse number 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Here we see Israel threatened. This has happened Multiple times throughout history. Here in scripture, Pharaoh, having let the people go, having seen the firstborn die among all the land of Egypt, having finally released Israel to go, now Israel is at the Red Sea. And this is not some little creek. This is not some dry riverbed. This is the Red Sea. This is a body of water. We're not sure exactly how many feet in depth. There's all the different archaeological and philosophical and historical uh, debates among the secularists and the humanists and the unorthodox about what the Red Sea really was. It was a body of water 
connected to what we know as the Red Sea that was part of the Red Sea and it was too high for them to cross over. They're looking at this body of water and they're saying, we cannot do this. It wasn't like there was this little trickle of water or ankle deep or knee deep or even waist deep. They would have drowned in this body of water. The exact point there on the Red Sea on the map where they crossed, we're not exactly sure. Archaeologists and his, um, history, uh, historical uh, studies have tried to determine. I know that there's been various documentaries done. The point is they came to a portion of the Red Sea that would have drowned them. It was so high that literally the chariots would be covered as the Egyptians later would try to come through on the dry land and the waters would come down over them. So here we see a miracle, a clear, miraculous work of God. And they are facing this Red Sea and they're beginning to wonder as the Egyptians now are coming. You would think, you think that Egypt, that Pharaoh would have learned his lesson. Doesn't it just go to show the stubbornness and the wickedness and the evil of man? To having had their firstborn sons just slain by the angel of death, by God's hand in the tenth plague, having had nine previous plagues, you would think that Pharaoh would have submitted, would have bowed, would have at least just said, go and, and leave and stay away. But no, he comes and he's chasing after them. And the children of Israel say unto Moses, verse 11, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Having seen all that God has done, they begin to complain, they begin to worry, they begin to fear. And they begin to even turn on Moses a little bit. Verse 12, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? Like they really had it great in Egypt. Doesn't that just sound like us sometimes? God is so good to us. He has blessed us in so many ways. We have it so well. And yet we're never happy. We're discontent. We're complaining about what God has done for us. They were slaves. They were trying to make, make bricks out of next to nothing, and they were being uh, basically tortured. How could they talk like this? It just goes to show, again, the stubbornness of our hearts. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Incredible. How could they say something like that? Verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I can only imagine Moses with that rod in his hand. We know he was a passionate man. And he turns and he says, fear not. God hasn't brought us this far just for us to die in the wilderness. See the salvation of the Lord. We don't know what he's going to do, exactly how he's going to do it, but he's going to make the way. He will show you today, verse 13, for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall... See them again no more forever. Verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. In verse 15, I love verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Isn't it interesting? He's standing there with that rod and he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord says, Moses, this is not a time to pray. I've already told you what to do. What was Moses's prayer at that point? What was it? Yes, sir. <laughs> Whatever you tell me to do, Lord. 
And aren't there times that that's all we need to do? God has already made it clear. It's already plain. It's already obvious. We just need to do it. We just need to step out in faith and obey. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Here we see Moses, he puts forth his rod in the water's part, and there is dry land instantaneously. We may have times where we have a puddle or we have some water that gets in the house. We've, we've had a pipe burst in our house. We were on a trip and came back, and it had been leaking for two or three days, and the entire bathroom was flooded. The bedroom was flooded. Half the living room was flooded. <laughs> we ended up getting new carpet, and it was a big mess. And we know how long it takes for wet carpet to dry, for mud to dry. This was instantaneously dry and dry enough like concrete for them to walk on across. This was a miracle of God. This wasn't some miraculous just, you know, oh, there was a, a cyclone, a hurricane, a tornado that just happened to come along in some natural catastrophe and it blew the waters in such a way that they were able to get across with muddy, muddy sandals. No. He put the rod out, the waters parted, and there was dry land. And they walked across. They were delivered through the sea, through the midst with, those water, with that water on both sides. And I know there's different artist renderings. What was it like? Was it like going to the Indianapolis Zoo and going to the dolphin exhibit and standing there with the glass all around and seeing the, the fish? You know how it is sometimes there, there's the artist renderings and could they see the fish right there in the walls of the water as they're walking through? I don't, I don't know. Um, can you imagine as a mom or a dad with your little ones and you're pulling them along? And, and what, a, what a joy later as parents to point back to when the kids are having a bad day and mom and dad are frustrated to be able to, to say to their children, look at what God did. Remember we were in the midst of the Red Sea, remember the water on both sides? Isn't that a joy as parents to be able to point to what the Lord has done in our lives and say, see, God provided then, he'll provide now. What an incredible sight. What an incredible provision, God's providence in providing for them. And the rod was an instrument of salvation in the midst of a crisis. We may feel like we're facing a Red Sea. We may feel like we're in an impossible circumstance Maybe we find ourselves complaining like Israel, or do we trust like Moses and say, fear not, the Lord will fight for you. Today we will see the salvation of our God. And we not know right now exactly how and when, but we know God will. And we need to have the faith like Moses. And we need to step out in faith and obey and believe and trust that God will provide, that God will deliver, that God will accomplish his will and we can trust him in it and the Lord will fight for us and we can quit the complaining and obey and trust and yield ourselves to him. So we see an instrument, the rod as an instrument of salvation in the midst of crisis and then we see, number five, the rod as an instrument of supply in the midst of complaints. 
Israel was complaining in Exodus 17 because they had no water to drink. Verse 1, all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? Complaining can be like fingers on a chalkboard, can't it? We're guilty of doing it. I think of as parents, and sometimes we hear the complaints of our children, and it's wah, wah, wah. And we just, mm, it just gets on our nerves. God is a gracious and merciful God. He's a patient and long-suffering God. But isn't complaining an act of unbelief? Isn't it ultimately a pointing our finger at God and saying, you aren't being good to me? That's where complaining is ultimately a rebellious act. We don't like to think of it that way. We put complaining as one of those respectable sins. But aren't we reminded in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, do all things without murmurings and disputings, without griping and complaining? And I know my mom would remind us regularly growing up, about complaining, coming home and complaining about the teacher at school or the friends at school or this or that or the other. and It was a constant reminder. Stop the complaining. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. And here they once again begin to question God. Moses said, why do you chide with me? A strong word for being on edge and grating against me. Ultimately, you're testing God, he says. You're testing God's mercy and his long-suffering and his patience. Instead of being thankful for it, instead of trusting him, you're complaining. And it's an act of rebellion. And we know that we can trust God to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But that means we come to him in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. And we let our requests be made known unto the Lord and we trust him. And the rod became an instrument of supply in the midst of complaint. We go down in Exodus 17. And Moses, verse 4, cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. That's how worked up they were in their complaining. How weary must Moses have been of their, their words. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod Wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go, behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? He strikes the rock, the rock and the waters come forth. The rod was just a symbol, a sign, a tool, but it was, by God's grace, an instrument of supply in the midst of complaints. And then we see, lastly, that the rod is an instrument of victory in the midst of conflict. An instrument of victory in the midst of conflict. We're in Exodus 17, and we see in verse 8 that Amalek comes and fights with Israel. We see this over and over, the Philistines, the Amalekites, other groups of people that attack Israel. And Moses said unto Joshua, verse 9, Speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders 
of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Here is the people of, of Israel, the children of Israel. And the elders come together with Moses. The Amalekites have invaded. There is a threat once again to Israel. In verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And we continue to go down, and we read there that Moses uh, came to, uh, the Lord came and spoke to Moses. And I realized I was just in, in chapter 19. I, my pages stuck together. I apologize. We come down to verse number 10, or actually verse 9 of Exodus 17. Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua, verse 13, discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And we see that the rod was in Moses' hand, and we know the story, we know the accounts, as his arms are out, and you see it there in a little different kind of uh, artist rendering. If we've ever done any kind of exercise with our arms out, we know how weary our arms get. And Aaron and her, we see there, holding up his arms, and what was the, the, what was the, the lesson, the visual illustration really all about? that victory comes from the Lord. It wasn't that the rod of Moses was a magician's wand. It wasn't that there was power in that rod as a magician's wand to cast spells, to throw pixie dust. We talked on Monday night at the Bible study over on campus about Christianity not being a religion of icons, of worshiping all the different relics, the Shroud of Turin, the Ark of the Covenant, on and on. They've, they've supposedly discovered the Ark up in Mount Ararat, and they're doing an archaeological dig, and they're trying to figure out if that's really the Ark. Interesting, just was back in the news again, and they're doing a, a dig there up in the mountains. It's up near the border with Iran, I guess. Not a very easy place to explore, to dig. But what do we tend to do? We want to have externals. We want to worship things. We want to worship ourselves and the things that we make and the things that we build and the money that we make and on and on it goes. And we even create a Jesus after our own image, a God after our own image. And we talked about this on Monday night and how Christianity is different from every other religion in the world. 
As a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're told three commandments in Exodus 20. No gods before me, no graven images, and not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We don't put statues of Mary out in the front lawn. We don't put crucifixes all over our walls and live in superstition, hoping that we will get, if we just do the right things and say the right things and tap our feet a certain way and wave our hands a certain way and pray enough rosaries and rub well enough, that God will then work on our behalf and we can, like a genie in the sky, make God do things according to our types of incantations and recitations. No. The rod in Moses' hand was simply a sign, a symbol. It was just a tool, but it was ultimately God. They were trusting God. Moses couldn't even keep his arms up without help. We think we're so strong. We think we're so great. And God teaches us some lessons of humility that we desperately need. And they were taught with that rod. As Moses held that up, as they held his arms up, that yes, the rod was an instrument of victory in the midst of conflict, but ultimately the battle belonged to the Lord. They ultimately had to trust in the Lord for victory over the Amalekites. So as we come to a close tonight, I'm again wanting to make application in my own life as well as in our own lives here tonight. I don't know what the rod is, so to speak, in, in your hand. or I, I can think of some things in my own life, some tools, some talents, some abilities, something that God has given us that is his already, that we give back to him for his service, for his glory to be used for him in service to God and service to others. And I'm thankful we've seen that over and over again in our church. We want to continue to see that. Uh, there's so much more ministry to do. There's so many more people that we need to reach and we, we need to serve and we need to help. And we need to just continue to be faithful. Whatever that rod might be in our hand, we surrender it to the Lord. It's not a magician's tool. It's not some way of casting a spell. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. We yield it to him and we let God use that. And God will do great and mighty things for his glory, often in spite of us, right? But as we humbly submit ourselves and what he's given us to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the rod of Moses. Lord, it was just a piece of wood that was just kind of a sign or a symbol. It had no magical properties. There was Nothing about it that was of any deity. It was not a graven image. It was just simply a stick, a tool, a rod, a staff. Moses carried. It had some practical purposes. But yet, Lord, it reminds us of the tools, the talents, the abilities, the things that, Lord, you give us, that we need to yield to you, to submit to you, that you desire to use in our lives as we humbly trust you, and depend upon you. Pray, Lord, for victory. We pray for strength. Pray that you help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in service to you, in service to others. Give us opportunities with the gospel and opportunities to minister to others and to see them grow and to be a blessing, Lord, uh, to others for your glory. Thank you again for our time together tonight. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight, and I uh, hope that you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to being back together on Sunday.